Good morning. Hi. Welcome to the fit spiritual condition and your food plan, letting go of diet mentality. My name is Eileen, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or electronic devices be turned off now. We remind you that this session is being taped and all speakers must sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed except what they're doing. (laughs) The opinions expressed here are those of the individual OA member and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format of this meeting is as followed. We will have three speakers who will share 17 minutes each, followed by questions from the floor by the panelists. The topic for this session is Fit Spiritual Condition in Your Food Plan, Letting Go of the Diet Mentality. The following is a reading from the 12 and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous, page 20. Our new way of life begins with a willingness to adopt a whole new attitude about weight control, body image, and eating. Our 12-step program is the most important way OA differs from diet and weight loss programs we've tried in the past. Those systems gave us diets to follow, but made us responsible for adhering to them. In OA, we are given no diets. Weight loss is not our only goal, and we accept that even a perfect body, if there is such a thing, would not make us happy. Our primary purpose is to abstain from eating compulsively, and we know that in order to do this, we will need help. At one time or another since we joined OA, most of us have experienced a period of complete freedom from the obsession with food and the compulsion to overeat. For many of us, this freedom came when we took step three and turned the entire problem over to our higher power. Suddenly, we no longer thought much about food and eating. When mealtime came, we ate moderately, felt satisfied, and stopped eating. It was as if some miracle had given us a healthy attitude about food and eating. End quote. Our first speaker is Selma. Please welcome Selma. Hi, everyone. My name is Selma, and I am a a recovering compulsive overeater. I'm looking for somebody that looks like a timer. Oh, okay. So what's the warning? Um, Okay. All right. Thanks. Okay. Well, I hope everybody's having a good time here, and I hope everybody came to... um, um, you know, enjoy the experience and take something away that helps, you know, uh, for the rest of the week, months, and years ahead. As a lot of speakers say when they're up here, I can only share my story. And I really had a hard time with this topic because the food plan for me is so integral to my spirituality and to my peace of mind. Um, I didn't, I didn't, um, I don't know that I had a, I've ever had a diet mentality, and I'll tell you why. But let me give you 
some of the facts and figures that um, always lend some credibility to uh, the stories we tell. I came into OA at 19, well, my first OA meeting was at 16, um, and the seed had been planted. I didn't understand what the program was about. I was confused because a woman stood up there and said that she had, wasn't sticking to her food plan, but she kept coming back, and I thought, why would you come back if it doesn't work? Um, you know, I, how many times did I join white Weight Watchers and leave and then go back and then, you know, leave and find another one and start over because maybe a different leader would have a different effect on me. Uh, but that seed was planted, so then at the age of 19, I went back and checked out a few more meetings. And then at the age of 21, I surrendered because I was so miserable. I was bulimic. I was... Um, I mean, it sounds dramatic, but I really was suicidally depressed. I couldn't, I just would wake up every morning saying, I can't believe this is a person's real life. I um, could not stop eating. And I had long ago stopped eating on a daily basis. What I was doing was taking speed every day to not eat. Um, I'd leave the pills uh, on my bed. You know, of course, this was in the 70s. And so I, um, I just bought them anywhere and every. All my friends were doing drugs, so it was easy to get them. Um, so I would leave the pills by my bed and with a glass of water, and the first thing I would do when I woke up, if I had slept that night, depending on how much speed I took the day before. So the, for those of you who did that, you know, there was, we called them bennies, and there was black beauties, and there was anything I could get my hands on that would stop the... Um, desire to eat and the hunger. Uh, so I would, the minute I woke up, like I said, if I had slept, uh, I would take as uh, you know a handful and drown down it with water. So I didn't have time to think about can I do this today again? Do I want to do this today? But the reason I did that was because I couldn't stop eating. Once I put food in my mouth, I was on a binge. I and I and and then it was store to store to store to fast food place to. Uh, wherever I could get food. I mean, it was really like mainlining heroin for me. And um, I wanted freedom from that. I wanted freedom from the obsession to eat and the compulsion. I wanted to be able to have the choice of when I ate and what I could eat and wanted to eat. So um, I didn't want to diet. I was far past the um, place where I was... To me, a diet is something you go on and you can't wait while you're on it. You're planning all the things you're going to go back to eating when you're off, right? And so a diet is something temporary to get to that image in my mind of that perfect, thin, lithe, sexy body. And then I'll be able to, like the big book says, eat like a gentlewoman, right? I'll be able to, and that's what I thought the goal was, was to have one piece, one bite, and just say, no, I've had enough. And um, before Overeaters Anonymous, um, I didn't know that wasn't po- an option. I thought that was the goal, to learn how to eat, quote, normally. So um, I remember um, writing in my journal, I can't even stop eating carrots. I can't stop eating celery. I just want to stop this crazy eating. And I couldn't figure out what to do. And I felt... So what compounded the pain was that the alienation I felt when I looked at 
out there in society, and I saw people with food on their plates sitting there while they were having conversations. And I was thinking, how do they do that? How do they do that? How come I can't do that? And I want to do that. I want to be like that. And so I felt so separate, like nobody understood, nobody. And then at one point, I went to a psychologist, told him what I did with the bulimia, and he said, You did what? And it was like, oh, my God, my worst nightmare come true. You know, I am the only one, and I'm disgusting. So, you know, I really appreciated last night's um, opening, really appreciated um, the speakers. And um, I was so thrilled to hear the politician, I guess his aide, talk about recognizing this as a disease. I'm not quite sure what's going on with the AMA and whether it's a disease or not a disease, but I know that when I put food in my mouth, I cannot stop eating, and that is why I have to have a food plan. Because, oh, I didn't give you my statistics. So 35 years ago, I came into OA. I joined at the age of 19. Um, I have 21 years of abstinence now. Thank you. And (laughs) I maintain a weight loss of 50 pounds, but as I'm getting older, I'm finding that how I looked with a 50-pound weight loss 10 years ago (laughs) doesn't look the same here at this age. So I'm, uh, what I have, and this is, again, my, my program, but I have a way I want to look, uh, clothes I want to fit in, and I don't, you know, I want to feel good in my body, and so I have a top weight that I will not go over. If I go over that weight, it's time to cut back. How do I know how to cut back unless I know what portions I'm eating? and what I'm eating. So I came into OA um, 1978. And I will say, if you do the math, I have 35 years uh, since I walked in the door and surrendered. But I have 21 years of abstinence. So I had 14 years of lots of relapsing, a lot of two steps forward, three steps back, five steps forward, six steps back. And... um, and I tried it all. I tried the, um, when I first came in, there was blue sheet and gray sheet and orange sheet, and everybody was weighing and measuring, and there was a lot of controversy about carbs, no carbs, this and that. And then OA progressed to, we are not a diet and calories club, take away the food plan. So then I was, in, I was thrilled because then I got to be my own, you know, sponsor to pick my own foods and amounts. And um, that, that, the three meals a day with nothing in between got bigger and bigger and bigger. And as long as I was sitting in a chair while I was eating, I called it abstinent <laughs> until all hell broke loose. And I lost that abstinence several times. And, you know, they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And in my area, the teacher uh, was how, which stands for honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, um, which in how we follow a way to measured food plan, and we um, work the the steps on a daily basis. The first thirty steps. Wait, first thirty steps. <laughs> I change. We changed the program. There's thirty steps in our program. <laughs> That's why it works. <laughs> but don't tell AA. <laughs> um, we work the first three steps. 
by answering in 30 days 30 questions. And then we go on to a, a very lengthy fourth step, and we work through the rest of the steps. So every day, well, it has evolved. Now I know some people are texting their sponsor their food. I, they were emailing. Now texting is the thing. And um, for me, a daily phone call and talking to the person is really important because then you can really ask questions, you can clarify things. But anyway, that's, you know, it's not, it's not any that, that different than what I ever did in OA. You get a sponsor, you commit to a food plan, you abstain from um, compulsive eating by, for me, knowing what I am uh, eating. Because my disease, I don't, I, I can't take the risk of, t- of, um, like when I travel or I eat at a restaurant, I look at the food and it's never enough. So I bring, I brought the scale with me, and I have food in my uh, my uh, refrigerator in my room, and we'll eat out a couple dinners. But I feel much more at peace when I can put food on a scale and it's the clean food I brought. Um, so, so. The part about it's not a diet, I, don't, I never had that part because what I wanted was freedom from the compulsion and freedom from the obsession. I wanted to be able to wear the clothes I wear today. I wanted to be able to come to places like this and be interested in the people and the, 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 the vacation and not how am I going to not eat today. Um, it's not fun. I talked to someone um, before this talk, and she said... What I want to hear if I'm sitting in that audience is that it's hard, but it's doable, and it's worth it. And I'm here to say it's not easy. It's not. It's not fun. But the payoff is so worth it to me. I'm such a nicer person. I'm such a happier person. I'm such a... um, uh, a more uh, um, as a wife, we can start to get in an argument or get in an argument, and I'm willing to drop it in two seconds. I don't hate myself, and I don't hate my life. And I, uh, those were all things that um, when I was overweight, fat, um, binging, I hated myself. I just hated myself, and um, I don't have to live that way anymore. So for me, it's worth it. I have a food plan. I follow it. I know what I eat. I know what I don't eat. I know when I eat. I don't snack. I don't eat in between meals. I don't have to think about it. And so, like we say, um, three meals a day with life in between. And um, I was, we were talking just briefly before the start, and when I said I'd been in OA for 35 years, um, the person I was talking to was like, wow. And I said, hey, to me, if you've, anybody's been in over two years, that's surprising. Because we get so many people that come in and don't stay. And that, I think that we need to acknowledge that this is not easy. It's hard. It's hard to, to um, follow a food plan. It's hard to let go of your best friend and your worst enemy. It's hard to be, um, keep going and to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I like to see my journey as like um, the Wizard of Oz. I I love this metaphor of, um, you know, Dorothy and the Tin Woodsman and the Scarecrow. Um, When they were in the, they got to the point where they could see the Emerald City in the distance. But then all of a sudden they were in the field of poppies. And then they got really sleepy and then they fell asleep. And then they had all the monkeys and the (laughs) witches and... But the goal was to get to the Emerald City. 
You know, and so keeping that your emerald, well, I don't want to tell you what to do, but for me, keeping my emerald city in mind, you know, I have a um, a blessed marriage today. And I, I didn't even date till I was in my 30s because I couldn't. I was so consumed with not eating, eating, not eating. How was I going to get it? How was I going to not eat it? Um, I have a wonderful relationship with my husband, um, my family now, which is a lot of work, but I'm willing to put the work in. And I'm really proud, you know, that I can say for 21 years I haven't um, eaten in between meals and I haven't eaten my binge foods. And for the most part, I've um, um, stuck to my food plan. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but um, I want what... And I figure I'm 56. I figure I might have another 30 to go. So um, um, it better be a spiritual program because, um, you know, I'm very, very involved in my own spirituality and growing and growing as well. So thank God for my food plan because I get to live the rest of my life. That's it. Thank you, Selma. Our second speaker is Sean N. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean, um, compulsive overeater, bulimic. Hi, Sean. And um, somebody who couldn't make it today, I was asked last night, so I was just thinking sometimes no preparation is the best preparation. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I will first just kind of quickly give you my stats. Um, I came into Overeaters Anonymous at 19, popular year, <laughs> your age. Um, I'm 47, and I currently have nine and a half years of abstinence. So, um, which uh, which I don't take lightly. Um, relapse is a big part of my story, and I guess a big part of my story is that learning curve that I needed to take in figuring out abstinence and food plan and the threefold nature of this disease and. Um, you know, I can bookend the last speaker who, you know, talked about the self-loathing and, and um, you know, the obsession. You know, it's sort of like a, a different city, the same story. You know, I was a hardcore bulimic. That was usually almost always the road back to was viciously large binging and vomiting. Um, all connected into self-hate, not a sense of you know, uh, I hated myself, therefore I, I, I couldn't, you know, connect with anybody. I always felt like an outsider in the rooms. And that, you know, I'm learning today that that's my story. Like, it keeps me separate. It keeps all this stuff alive. And, um, and so uh, I, have, I have had periodic uh, periods of abstinence. And, and in similar vein, I tried a lot of different ways, um, you know, uh, following kind of a, you know, specific kind of food plan, uh, just don't throw up no matter what. And for me, my story involves seeking outside help. I'll tell you, as a, as a person who started eating and found this love of sugar at five, uh, which I can say today was so brilliant of that five-year-old because it was so sweet and loving and consistent, and I came from a home of violence and fear and terror. So, um, 
So what served me at a certain period of time, you know, because I come from a family of dysfunction and addiction, I learned how to do everything excessively. And, um, you know, turned into, you know, kind of my own uh, uh, perpetrator. And, um, and I had no tools to do anything but eat or not eat or chase the numbers. I'm five feet tall. The most I've weighed is about 140. And I'm in this abstinence, this period of time. I've never had longer than three and a half years. So in this, this time, which I say, God willing, is my last time, because I don't really feel like I have another one in me. Um, you know, I, I stay in a five-pound range, and I'm smaller than I've ever been. And, um, and it really does, for me, has aligned with my continual work in my spiritual side of this program. Um, when the topic and the word diet, I've, an, somebody who I admire in the program a lot will often say, um, uh, I think... I think the word diet is a word that is charged, but in a sense, you know, I thought, oh, I wonder what it, what, you know, what does, what does diet mean, you know? And I just, like, saw the synonyms, and it's nutrition, nourishment, food, regime, regimen. And, um, you know, I, uh, I am a self-sufficient survivor, so don't worry about me. I'll take care of myself. And, um, and the big book continues to teach me that, you know, I require discipline. But early on, my discipline was full of a lot of self-harming choices. And, um, you know, if I didn't eat this, I was bad. If I did eat this, I was good. If, you know, um, and so for me, my abstinence is no throwing up and no recreational sugar. But in my life today, I have an equal sign with my abstinence and my food plan. Now, it doesn't mean that if I end up not eating the lunch I was committing to, but I ate something else, that I'm not abstinent. But my food plan has become so important for me to be free of my obsession. Because, see, I could not throw up and not eat recreational sugar, but I could be very crazy um, in my head because I and playing around with food all over the map. And um, so I do uh, follow pretty much a weight and measured food plan. Um, you know, I, I've, I found that I was not an intuitive eater. Um, these are things about myself, and everybody's so different, and that's why maybe there is these, these periods where we have to kind of scrape and fall to figure out, to thine own self be true, because... I'm staying with some women who I admire and have a sober way of walking with their food, and we get to joke about how different we all are, (laughs) and our kooky ways, and I can't, oh, I couldn't eat that, and I can't eat that, but I could eat that, and, you know, but we all get to say, are you sober at lunch, are you sober at lunch, and we all are, you know, um, we were saying last night at dinner that, you know, for us to be able to, like, say, oh, take a bite of Take a bite of the steamed cabbage. You know, like, I wouldn't share my food with anybody, you know. But to be in a place where it's like, there, it's, it's never enough, but then there is the grace of, of you know, 
a power greater than me that I'm choosing to join hands with. Um, for me, my journey with uh, sober eating has been really connected to a partnership. Um, I spent a lot of time outside of myself saying, okay, power greater than me. It's sort of like the word diet or the word God. You know, charged words that can keep me separate or I can use a different word, you know. So I don't use the word diet, but I, I want a I food plan that has a lot of self-care around it. And, um, and I've had in the beginning when I was following a plan of eating that I try to align to loving, kind choices. Um, and that's not to say that sugar-free frozen yogurt isn't loving and kind, but we have to know ourselves. Um, I have to know myself enough to know how, how does it keep my head? If my head stays quiet after I've eaten something, then that's a great thing. If I don't feel numb and I'm not using food to kind of take the edge off, um, then then I I have a chance to show up for my life in a different way and learn and grow and heal. Because um, the thing that has come up for me over these last nine years and why I have this sort of preciousness and vigilance about, like, I'm just abstinent today, is um, hard work. Hard work being in my disease? Hell yeah. Hard work being in recovery? Hell yeah. But I'd rather choose this hard work today. And, and, and even that word I don't even use. It's joyful. You know, I have a sponsor who will say to me, you know, when I say, oh, God, I'm going to do this, she'll be like, how exciting. You know, I mean, I have to learn to uh, use different words because I set my own tone, you know. So, oh, I've got to follow this food plan. Oh, I can't eat this. You know, instead of, okay, you know, if I have experience that when I eat this way, I'm obsession-free and that I actually get to hear people, you know, and I'm not off in a stratosphere, then that's a joyful thing. Some of my relapses honestly have come out of when my life's been good. So, see, I know how to do bad and I know how to do struggle. But um, it, it's a work in progress. It's taken it's taken some pretty hard pitfalls to understand that when I'm aligning with the threefold nature, when I'm looking at my behaviors and I'm taking care of myself and I'm kind of saying, hmm, you know, higher power, yeah, would like me to just not make that change, you know, that still small voice, and I listen to that, I'm probably in more danger to do something harmful to myself than I would be if I was in drama and chaos because I know how to do that. So part of my journey in these last nine and a half years is to um, trust that I deserve to live the full life that a power greater than me sees for me. Because I'll tell you one thing, that power wants me to live way bigger than I live today. You know, I'm a scared little girl who has lived very small and um, I'm willing to keep stretching, including, you know, jumping in on a panel to um, share some stuff that'll resonate with some and other people won't. And, you know, um, but, but to be comfortable in my own story, because I'm not here to convince anybody else. I'm abstinent. 98% of the time, I'm free of the obsession. I live in a healthy body weight. I can, you know, 
pack the same clothes for years on end, that's freedom to me. So if I can't participate in the frickin' French fries, that is, that is such a, a small sacrifice today. Um, it, not, it hasn't always been that way. But I've also uh, stayed very anchored in the steps and the work of this program. You know, I, I cannot get this with half measures for me, you know. Um, and, and again, I just, that's my experience. And, uh, and I have learned to really integrate the steps into all areas of my life. I don't just make a decision about food, but it starts there. Because if I'm not clear in my head, then I can't do the deeper work. Um, then I'm convincing myself and I'm living in a lot of painful stories and more suffering than I know that this program tells me I should have. And, um, and so, uh, um, so I, can, I have found that in finding a plan of eating that works for me, connected to um, recognizing alcoholic foods, alcoholic behaviors, certain things I do with food that other people could do very easily, you know, um, has allowed me to tap into a deeper sense of my spirituality, not just outside of me, but within, you know, um, and I think that's been the key for my own recovery is that there's not a separation from that source, that the source is within. Whenever I've heard that still small voice, it's come from within, it's never come from outside. And when I sit and ask myself that question, what would be what would be the soft, gentle thing to do? It's never have popcorn for dinner. It just never is. Thank you. Um, and, uh, um, and so for me, understanding that about myself has given me, most importantly, it's given me the ability to know that I'm not a victim. And I think that a lot of my journey has been about staying in a place where I could live that story of being a victim and victimized. And when I can see that today, you know, I have a disease. I don't have just an issue with food. It's a full-blown disease. It changes my whole outlook and attitude. And when I am willing to see what other people do that have what I want, trust that what they did has brought them freedom, then, then I'm I can be willing to try doing that myself. And, um, you know, the Dignity of Choice gives us five or so different options of food plans, and then we get to sort of figure out what may navigate. You know, I needed outside help to help me understand what worked for me and how, how certain... I didn't know what a portion was. I needed to learn these things because I have a disease that loves vagueness. Oh, I had a little bit of chicken, you know, a little bit for one person is a half a cow for another. So, you know, um, I can't argue with a cup, and I cannot argue with a scale. I want to, but I can't, you know. And some days, if I put something on a scale, I think, that's all? And then other, and other days, I put it on a scale, same amount, it looks so much bigger. So it just is a daily reminder that I have a disease that's with me every day, and it, my disease thrives on vagueness and amnesia. And, um, and I am uh, not willing to participate in that today. And so in this 24 hours a day, which is the days I live in, because I don't live in yesterday or today, I've got my food planned. I'm at a convention, you know, my first ever in all the 28 years, um, nervous and wanting to 
build that story being an outsider. And so what I do is I'm willing to say hello to everybody I pass in the hallway. I'm willing to say yes when someone says, can you speak on a panel? I'm willing to look out in the audience at people, not down at the podium. And that's not anything I really want to do. But guess what? I'm having a better experience doing it. And mostly being abstinent has been the key to allowing me to stretch in the emotional and the spiritual side of my recovery. So thank you. Thank you, Shauna. Before I call up Frank, our last speaker, I heard in program that the letters DIET stands for Dumb Idea Every Time. Hi, my name is Frank, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And to prove it, I started my pictures around, so you can uh, see the proof visually. Um, let me first uh, give you the statistics. Um, I've been in OA for 33 years, but I have cur- currently seven years of abstinence. Um, my top weight before OA was 430 pounds. My top weight during my long relapse in the middle of OA was 460 pounds, so this disease is progressive. And um, the only thing I did right during those years of relapse is that I kept coming to OA because I knew this was the answer. I just wasn't willing to do it. So that's the one thing that I did right in this whole program. Almost everything else I did was wrong. And, in fact, you know, a lot of the conventional wisdom about food plans and things like that, I violate. So please take what you like and leave the rest. And if what you're doing right now is working for you, don't uh, try to adopt my plan just because it worked for me. Um, you know, the one thing I'm grateful about this program is that it is an individualized program. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So um, when I grew up, I was, in a, I was raised in a very traditional church. And in high school, I converted to atheism, and I could prove that God didn't exist. So I had to hit a hard bottom to come to a program that talked about a higher power and talked about a God. And in fact, when I came to OA, I didn't even know that it had a higher power and God in it. I um, hit a bottom where I called for some help at a, at a medical clinic, and they said they gave me the name of a therapist to talk to. So I called the therapist, and he said he'd take me as a client, but I'd have to go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings simultaneously. I called the phone number for OA and found out where the meeting was, and it sounded like it was going to be cheaper than the therapist. So I, I went to OA, and I didn't go to the therapist. <laughs> but... Um, and I, again, I got lucky when I went to my very first meeting. It was a very small meeting. There were like three people there. Um, and so they let me cross-talk during the meeting and ask, how could an atheist work this program? And uh, they tried to convince me that, you know, I didn't need to use a conventional higher power. Any higher power I wanted would be fine. Um, and somebody at that meeting loaned me the AA Big Book and said that I should go and read the chapter, We Agnostics. So I went away and I read that chapter that week. And then I was convinced this program was not for me because... <laughs> The only message I got out of that chapter was, if you stick with us, we'll convert you. (laughs) And I didn't want to get converted. So I had to go back to the same meeting the next week to return the book that I had borrowed. And if I hadn't borrowed the book, I probably wouldn't have gone back. So, you know, God arranged things just perfectly for me to come to this program and, and to stick. And the same day that I went to that second meeting, which was a noontime meeting, I went to an evening meeting down in San Jose, which was a much bigger meeting. And there I got the hope that I needed, which uh, was when a man stood up and talked about having lost 100 pounds and kept it off for years. 
So I knew that there was hope because before that, there was no hope for me. You know, I was, I was lost. There was no, I tried, you know, I tried. So, um, <clears throat> so what I, what I do wrong is my food plan. Um, when I first got into OA, I, I was trained as a physicist, so I knew the law of conservation of energy. And the way that I ate before OA was, was quantities of food, large quantities of food. You know, I'd make a tray of lasagna that I was going to have one portion of it, maybe a quarter of it for dinner. The whole tray would be gone by, by the end of the night. Um, you know, so I would just go back and get more and more and more. Um, during my long relapse, I would um, go out at, for lunchtime. I'd stop at one fast food joint and have a large but reasonable meal for that. And then I'd go to another fast food joint and get another meal before I went back to work. Or on my way home from work, I would stop at a fast food joint and get a meal. Then I'd come home and eat a meal with my wife. So um, it was quantity eating was the problem. And I knew that I had to limit the quantities. And because it was quantity eating, it was more like meat and potatoes type eating, eating not necessarily flour, sugar items, things like that. So when I first got into the OA program, I uh, used calorie counting as my food plan. And I had a calorie count that I that I would lose weight on, and I uh, stuck to that calorie counting pr- plan. And I lost uh, 180 pounds in the first year in the program. So I, I came into OA at 380, and I got down to my goal weight of around 200 pounds um, in that first year. And it's and it stayed pretty well for a while, for a long time. Um, eventually, I started to um, make my food plan a little less rigorous, and um, for example, when I went to a buffet, my rule was one plate. Now, this plate could be close to avalanching, <laughs> but as long as it was one plate, you know, that was, my, that was my food plan. And it was at a buffet where I first broke my abstinence. I went back and got three plates. So there was no way I could say that three equals one. I knew better than that. But at this point in time, my ego had gotten very big in OA because I had lost all this weight. I was asked to speak at a lot of meetings. I was the chairperson of our inner group. I was a World Service Business Conference delegate. I you know, went to all kinds of conventions. I knew the Board of Trustees of Orders Anonymous Incorporated. And um, I'd have to give up these service positions if I wasn't abstinent. So I didn't tell anybody about that first binge. And then there was a second, and then there was a third. And uh, you know, I put some weight on, and then I had to finally admit that I wasn't, a compul- that I wasn't abstinent anymore and give up all my service positions. And that started a long period of relapse and recovery, relapse and recovery. And thank God it wasn't all relapse because I'd be dead right now if it was all relapse. But like I said, I kept coming to OA. The interesting correlation was that if I was in relapse, I didn't come to OA very often. If I was in recovery, I came to OA quite often. And, and that has been the pattern through my life. I need to come to you know, three meetings a week minimum um, in order to, to keep this recovery that I get in this program. And the way I see it is I need to sit there and spend an hour concentrating on recovery. You know, even if I'm sitting there in my seat criticizing everything the speaker is saying, I'm at least sitting there for an hour concentrating on my recovery. So um, I need to do that as part of my program. So I got lucky and I retired young in the year 2000. Um, and I was going to, in my retirement, I was going to, you know, get this program and lose the weight and get down to my goal weight and everything was going to be okay. Finally, in the year 2006 is when I started my current abstinence. So it took me six more years um, during my um, retirement. And uh, 
during, during, when I was active in OA at the early part, when I was abstinent and everything, I went to all kinds of conventions, retreats, you know, you name it, I, I went to it. During my many years of, of relapse and recovery, I didn't do any of that. I didn't go to retreats. I didn't go to conventions. And in 2006, I had heard that there was a Region 2 convention in Oakland that year. And so on the Monday before the convention, I decided to go. And I decided it would be good to have some abstinence before I went to the convention. And at that time, I was 400 pounds. At, on, June, on January 26, um, 2006, I was 400 pounds. And I um, went to a meeting a day before the convention. I went to the convention. I got a lot of recovery from the convention. Um, I heard a lot of recovery. I, I met a lot of people that I had not seen for years because I hadn't been coming to conventions, and they kept coming. And um, so I decided I'd do 90 meetings, 90 days, and I did that. And then that was working so well that I started doing, I kept doing a, a meeting a day basically for several years, like two to three years, somewhere in there. I, I gradually tapered off from a meeting a day, and now um, I need to go to three meetings a week. I don't necessarily always go to three meetings a week, but um, that's what I need. And, you know, during my whole time of relapse, I couldn't do that counting calories anymore. It didn't work. You know, it's not going to work for me. I tried other things, you know, moderate meals, this and that and the other thing. You name it, I tried it. And, you know, it never stuck uh, during, that, during that long period of time. So on this recovery that I've got currently, I went back to counting calories. So I've been doing it uh, since 2007, 2006, and um, it worked. I got you know, down into my goal weight range, which is a little bit higher than I did when I was young. Um, and, um, and then about nine months ago, I'd, you know, I'd, I was sick and tired of counting calories. By, by the way, I left one thing out. Some people ask me, so how did you start your recovery you know, in 2006? And the only thing I can tell you is that I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I somehow just took a, another step of surrender, which is what I want to get to as the um, fit spiritual condition for my abstinence. My fit spiritual condition is a condition of surrender. You know, if I think that I'm doing it, I'm in big trouble. And, you know, for me, when I tell people that my um, food plan is counting calories, the, the, you know, the, I'm sure that their first thought is, oh, that's a diet. And for me, the difference between a diet and an abstinence is a diet is when I think I am controlling the food. If I think I'm in control, that I, if I haven't taken that first step, if I um, have power over food, then I can use a diet. And, and that's what normal eaters do. You know, the people out there in the streets, they go on a diet if their weight's up a little bit. They get down if they, and they stay there, and if it goes up again, they go on another diet. Um, but that's because they, don't have, they aren't powerless over food like I am. So um, if I am thinking that I have power over the food, then counting calories would be a diet. But if I have surrendered that I am powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable, and if I'm seeking a higher power that will help me to live life and to um, be abstinent, then it's not a diet. Then it's a, a, a surrender to a food plan. And uh, that's what works for me. So um, let's see. I had a little segue there, and I was talking about... Um, so when I, got, when I started my abstinence, you know, um, I, I did go back to counting calories. And then about nine months ago, I was tired of counting calories. You know, it's too much work. And so I'll just do moderate meals. I know how to do that. You know, I know what a moderate meal is. 
And during, you know, about six months of moderate mealing, I put on about 10 pounds. And so talking with my sponsor, I decided I had to go back to counting calories. So I'm back to counting calories again. Um, so, you know, I, um, you know, I'll try all kinds of experiments, right, you know, to see what works um, and what doesn't work. So, um, so that's my food plan. And the fit spiritual condition, as I said, is a condition of surrender. And, you know, the, um, when I came into the program, I was an atheist. And so my first higher power was the group, because here was a group of people that had some, some ability to not compulsively overeat, and I could, you know, get some strength when I went to meetings. And then in the first few years in the program, I developed my own higher power, and it's uh, unconventional higher power. Um, I use the word God for it just because that's a convenient shorthand, but it's not at all like the traditional God that I rejected. It's more like a higher self or the God within or the Christ within or right brain or whatever it is. The main thing that I have to remember is that the Frank that is standing up here talking to you right now, that's the Frank that's powerless over food, whose life is unmanageable, who, you know, can't, doesn't know how to eat well and and to live life um, by eating. And when I turn my will and my life over to the care of that other part of me, the part, the intuitive part that knows how much is the right amount of food, that has the ability to eat that amount of food and to stop, you know, that's, that's my higher power, and that's, that's what I have to turn my will and my life over to. And the same thing applies not just to the food, but to all areas of my life. You know, the Frank that's standing up here is the Frank that's obsessed about controlling people, places, and things, and making everything work out the way I want it to work out, and thinking that I know best and that other people don't. And um, I need to let that Frank go and just, you know, remember that there's a part of me that knows how to live and let live. There's a part of me that knows how to live the serenity prayer. And it's the, the Frank that's standing up here and talking to you right now doesn't know how to do that. I don't know how to um, let go of the things I can't change. I don't know the difference between the things I can't change and the things I can change. I don't know how to let go of the things I can change, and I don't have the courage to change the things that I can. So I need to turn it over to that intuitive higher self within me that, that knows all those things and is able to um, help, help me live life well. So, um, so that's what I do for letting go of the men- diet mentality is to, is to take the first three steps to um, admit that I'm powerless over food and that I cannot control the food and ask for help from my higher power to do it. And the way that I maintain a fit spiritual condition is by doing all the things that the program tells you to do. You know, go to meetings, use the tools of the program, use the 12 steps of the program, have a sponsor, be a sponsor, carry the message. You know, all of that stuff is all part of how I try to maintain a fit spiritual condition. And, you know, I, part of that fit spiritual condition is a condition of being spiritually awakened. And the big book has, um, in the appendix two of the chapter of the big book, it has the definitions of, of um, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience. And they, there are two different definitions, that, but they're both, both on the order of the ability to do things that you couldn't do before. Like being able to eat an abstinent food plan and lose weight and maintain a, a healthy body weight is something I couldn't do before. So that's the first example of a spiritual awakening in my life is the, that I am now doing that. I've got to remember it's not me, the Frank, that's doing it. It's my higher power that's doing it. But... Um, but that's the first example of a spiritual awakening. But there are tons of other spiritual awakenings. You know, every time I don't react angrily to something that's happening, that's a spiritual awakening because my normal response would be to react angrily and my normal ego gets into it and, you know, they've cut me off on the freeway or they said something. My wife said something that I could take as a criticism. Go for it. 
You know, take it as a criticism and tell her how wrong she is for it. And, and you know, it might not be anything close to a criticism, but it's all in my head is, is where the problem is. So, you know, every time I do one of those things, it's a spiritual awakening. And, um, and I need to do all of these things because there's no way that I can live a life where I'm spiritually awakened with the food, but I'm running like a bull in a tiny china top shop in every, every other area of my life. If I'm doing that, I'm going to get back to the food. You know, I can't just do one little part of this program and stick to that and, you know, ignore all the rest of it. I really need to change my whole way of, of thinking about life. It's, it's changing my reaction to life. That's uh, another part of the definition in Appendix 2 of the big book. Um, so the way that I maintain a fit spiritual condition is, like I said, doing all the stuff and uh, that, that the program recommends. And the other part of it is prayer and meditation. Um, and I'm a great one for simple, short prayers, you know, like, thank you, thank you, God. Um, that's a, a favorite chair, chair, prayer of mine. Another one is more God, less Frank, because what I need of more, is more of God's will and God's grace in my life and less of Frank's selfishness, self-centeredness, Frank's will um, in my life. Um, relax and trust. You know, if somebody cuts me off on the freeway, if I can remember, relax and trust, huh, it's no big deal. If I don't, you know... Road rage. Um, so prayer is important, and um, meditation is important too. And you know, over all those years in the program, I kept going to meditation retreats and this and that and the other thing. And I never, it never worked in the sense of getting a regular spiritual practice of meditation. And about th- three years ago, a little less than three years ago, I took a outside class on meditation, and the difference was I did all the homework. So for eight weeks. I meditated every day. That was the homework assigned every day, was to do a meditation every day. And when I finished that, I kept it up pretty well since then. In fact, I found an app for that on my cell phone, and it, it, it times my meditations. It keeps track of them. And I'm currently on a, on a run now of about 220 days of, of doing a meditation every day. And... Um, you know, it keeps track of the total number of hours I've done and all that. So, and over the long-term average of that three years, I've done 82% of the days I've meditated. So I'm not perfect. That's another thing I wanted to talk about is, is a big part of my recovery is recovery from perfectionism. Because I was the, not the kind of perfectionist who had a perfectly beautiful, maintained house. I was the kind of perfectionist that had a house that was a disaster. And the reason was, if I couldn't do it perfectly, I didn't do it at all. And that's what applied to my, my diets before the program. You know, I would try to do them perfectly, and if I didn't do them perfectly, well, screw it. I'm going to go eat everything I want. And I now have to, um, even though I'm counting calories, I don't do it perfectly. You know, I, I do have a scale that I take with me and try to weigh and measure um, as much as possible, but I don't always weigh and measure. I sometimes approximate what the calories are. And um, so I have to live with that kind of imperfection. If I'm trying to do it perfectly, um, I'm, I'm doomed to failure. So, um, and the thing I've come to believe about spiritual awakening is that spiritual awakening is about living in the present moment. And so, you know, for years and years when they passed the phone pad around, I would write uh, one day at a time was my comment that I would write. I'd always write that one day at a time. In the last few years, I've changed it to one moment at a time because that's where the spiritual awakening occurs. It's in the present moment. And that's a big part of the... um, the program is getting out of the past and getting out of the future. If I'm living in regret and resentment, I'm living in the past. If I'm living in fear, I'm living in the future. 
and this serenity is in the present moment. So I, I need to try to get into the present moment, and that's when the spiritual awakening happens, and um, that's when I get recovery. Thanks. Thank you, Frank. Would the person that has the pictures at the end of the meeting please just bring them up here to the front table? Um, before I go on, I wanted to talk about, I heard at a meeting that there's two short prayers. It could be help and thank you. And then I heard someone else say that they get up in the morning and they say, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then when they go to bed at night, they say, oh, well. <laughs> this meeting is now open for questions from the floor to the panelists. So just stand and raise your hand. I'll call on you and yell out your question, and I'll repeat it on the microphone. Yes. The question is, what's the name of the app that Frank got? Talk to me afterwards. It's an outside enterprise. Okay. I have a question. Would any of you speak to, do you do any spiritual exercises on a daily basis, and what do you do? Well, I said part of it. I now do daily meditation, and I, my timer is set for 18 minutes, so I try to do 18 minutes a day. Sometimes I do longer. Um, rarely I do shorter. And I, as part of that class that I took, they sometimes have all-day meditation retreats, and I go to those whenever I can and um, get more meditation. The prayer is something I wish I did many times a day. Um, I, in fact, in my car, I've got a little um, card on the dash there that has a lot of my short little prayers that I like. I don't look at that card as often as I want to, but um, that would be the ideal for me, besides going to meetings. Hi. Um, uh, about five years ago, I... Um, I, I was working deeper in step 11 um, because uh, because I was not consistent with the prayer and meditation. And so I, much like Frank, I do a daily meditation practice. I have um, a certain style of meditation I do, which is uh, doesn't take me into stratospheres. Um, it, it's focusing on the present, and I have guided or unguided. And, um, and I read daily readings, and I read them out loud, um, instead of just read them in my head, and that feels very much like a prayer-like to me. Um, so I read, you know, courage to change, and f- just for today, and um, and and then, you know, part of my recovery has been really connected this time around to humor. So, you know, even if I'm like, if I say something like, "Oh God," you know, I'll be like, "Oh." You know, I'm going to church. So, um, but but I do think the stillness has been very, very, very important for me, and I can't uh, encourage people enough to be willing to, you know, start. I started I started with five minutes and just built up there. So I know some one of my sponsees is doing two minutes, and you know, it's just that I, I see it as an act of of thanks to this power outside of me who's. By the time I'm in 11, I'm, I'm, I'm having a pretty significant change in where I've come from. So it's sort of a way for me to sit in, in an offering. So that's... Well, I guess the one thing we all have in common here is a daily meditation practice. And mine certainly isn't perfect um, because I don't, haven't 
Uh, mine is um, progress, not perfection, so if I don't get it in, it's okay. But um, I do 15 minutes at least of meditation every morning before exercising. And what, what I, I've done this off and on for years because of step um, 11 tells me that prayer and meditation is a part of my recovery. So I think over time it's been cumulative. But what I really like about it is um, that it's, and I've tried different you know, classes and listening to tapes and um, different uh, um, ways of doing it, but the, my goal is to quiet my mind. And that, as we all know, is not easy. And if I can get to that place where I'm just focusing on my breathing and I'm quieting my mind, oh, my God, it's such a relief. And, um, and the reason I, this isn't, you know, this convention is not about meditation, but doing that, quieting my mind and being able to stop the thoughts for a minute even allows me to have access to that um, higher power within me, the part of me, the higher self, like Frank talked about, that um, wants only the best for me. And it's a little, it's kind of exhilarating. It's just the feeling of like, wow, there is, there is a feeling in there. There's a place in there where there's no angst and there's no um, insanity and there's no, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to just act as if and keep trusting that as I continue to do that over time, I'll be able to um, 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 expand that ability more and more. And it plays out in my life of I'm seeing myself as more calm and grateful. Anyone else have a question? Yes, please stand. And when you say the scales, you mean standing on the scale, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we, none of us are too upset. Yeah. Um, you know, I just want to, what I want to say about that is in the HAL program, you weigh yourself once a month. And even though that's really hard, it's a relief. Now, um, because the, and the great part about that is um, you, if you're a person who only lose, ha, loses maybe half a pound a week if you're following your food plan, Four pounds is a lot um, bigger uh, excitement than half a pound. And um, the, 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 the other side of that, though, is that at this stage of the game, for me, I have to weigh myself often or I can be in denial. So now I have to make myself get on the scale because I, I have to be honest about what my, where my weight is and if it's time to readjust my food plan. And that's the hard part. Um, but um, I am a person that wanted to weigh a certain weight, and I think it just comes to um, and maintain a certain weight. So I think that whole scale obsession thing needs to be, for me, a commitment with my food plan to my sponsor when I'm going to weigh and then let it go. Anything that I'm obsessed about goes in with the commitment, this is what I'm going to do, and then I let it go. My name is Frank, compulsive reader. This is another thing I do wrong in the program. Um, being, being a scientist background, I understand about signal and noise, 
and I understand that my daily weight is a noisy signal. And, um, but I do weigh daily, and I record it. That's part of what I record along with my calories for the day. And um, I can tell you that my weight has a fluctuation. It can be as much as three or four pounds on a day-to-day basis. Now, I don't know if I am having my period too often or what. <laughs> but, um, you know, it can go up and down three or four pounds. I don't know if I eat a lot of salty things on the days when it goes up or not. It doesn't seem to be correlated to me. The more common thing is a one- or two-pound fluctuation from day to day. And I just treat it all as noise, and I just keep an eye on the long-term trend. But if that doesn't work for you, if you start getting obsessed about it, and if when your weight goes up, you think, oh, i got to restrict my food, or when my weight goes down, oh, I can have an extra food. If that's the way that your mind is working, don't do what I do. You know, it, it works for me. It may, your, your, violet, your mileage may vary. Um, there was another thing that I do wrong, um, so I'm glad you asked that question about the scale. I can't remember the other thing I do wrong. It'll come up later. Um, yeah, I've definitely had issues with the scale, good and bad. Um, I, I, I guess what came up for me in that and answering it's just baby steps. You know, uh, what works for one may not work for another. Um, I don't weigh myself daily, no way. Um, and uh, but I do step on the scale to know the truth. Um, so I think it just may depend. For me, a lot of it has depended on where I'm at in my own recovery process. You know, if if I'm just trying not to throw up, I don't need to add fuel to the fire of my very fragile uh, abstinence um, because that's the most important thing for me is to not do that. Th- this one thing that's really killing me, and and as the steps start to work, different things can be added in. I just tend to be a backward slider if I throw too many things in at once. So, you know, if it's right now harming you, then, uh, you know, that's what sponsors are for, to help kind of bring a a loving balance, because I think what used to hurt me can now help me. You know, a scale that used to be my torture is now my truth. And, you know, I report honestly. I get a certain number back on a scale. You know, if a scale's not telling me what I want to see, then maybe I have to look at what exactly I'm reporting, you know. Um, so it's, again, it takes away that vagueness, which, you know, my disease never likes. So, um, but, yeah, I don't think anything is supposed to be torturous for us. Thank you for the question. Thank you, panelists. Any other questions? We have a little bit more time. Yes. Hi, um, I wanted to ask the panel Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a sugar, sugar addict, but what I use, what I had to define was I say recreational sugar because it's all that stuff, cookies, candies, cakes, sweet tarts, gumballs, um, 
those are so, it, I just go back to it, so primal for me. I mean, as well as we'll be sucking my thumb, you know, and, um, but I can have sugar in a marinara sauce or, you know, sugar-free frozen yogurt. Those things aren't triggers for me. And, and for me, there are times in my plan of eating that there is that part that I enjoy. You know, I enjoy it in a very sober way without uh, a, a small size wanting to then be three small sizes. So I've had to find out what exactly that range of sugar feels like for me, and I think everybody's got to find that process. For some, it's very black and white, and for others like myself, it's, it's just specific to some, some t- styles of food, you know. So hopefully that helps. My name is Frank Compulsive Reader. This is another thing I do wrong. Um, my uh, abstinence is counting calories, and if I have a sugar item, I just need to count the calories for it, and it's, it's legal in my food plan. So, um, but, you know, like I said, I was a quantity eater, and I can eat a bigger quantity of a lower-calorie food than I can of a high-calorie food. So I don't, you know, I don't... What I can honestly say before the OA program, I never really even binged on, on sugary items. It would really be the meat and potatoes, the tray of lasagna, those kind of things would be what I'd binge on. In the OA program, I did learn to binge on sugar items <laughs> um, during my long relapse there. But um, you know, if I'm counting calories and if I'm being honest about it and, and weighing and measuring, and on those kind of items, I have to be more metic- meticulous. I have to you know, really weigh and measure and, and not estimate the calories in it. Um, and then I can have it, but I, um, you know, again, your mileage may vary, and if, if eating just a little bit of X makes you go crazy and wanting to have a whole lot of X, then don't have X. That, that's what my recommendation. Thanks. I am one of those people that um, when I eat sugar, I can't stop. Um, I'm one of those people that um, the doctor's opinion in the big book applies to. Uh, the phenomenon of craving is, is um, painful, and it, I return to the, um, the, obs- you know, the obsession of the body and the, the disease of the body. The obsession of the mind, the disease of the body. The part that I hate the most, though, is the constant thinking. Can I eat it? Can I not? Should I eat it? Should I not? Did I eat too much? Should I, do I keep this? Do I let it go? That is one of the things I wanted freedom from. So anything that does that to me in my food plan, even if it's on the abstinent OA how food plan, goes. Because I want freedom from the obsession and freedom from the compulsion so that when I'm sitting with you at a meal, I hear what you say, I can concentrate on what you're saying, and I'm, I'm enjoying my food, but there's no... Um, um, you know, there's no adrenaline rush to like, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, should I, okay, maybe I can eat it. Maybe, oh, look, I did, I could. And then I'm back on, and that, I want freedom from that too. So you have, um, you know, this is what's nice about a panel. You have different, I, I always say this in my share, you, you know, in, in OA, you've got the whole continuum of people who are knocked down, drag out, um, you know, binging, bulimic, anorexic to people who need, um, uh, some education about how to eat healthy, and we're, we all fall somewhere in between, and we all have to, I think, find our own place. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for the question. Yes. Hi, Selena. Felina. Felina. <laughs> it's okay. It doesn't matter. We're all anonymous. Thank you guys 
Um, I mean, it's 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 great uh, it's great healing opportunity for me because I don't know what works best for anybody, and step twelve is a is what I really try to do when I sponsor is just to be an example, and I'll I'll I mean I I love to be able to as I do with some of my sponsees as we kind of especially if we go to eat together because then we actually commune and um, laugh about things I could never eat that are on their food plan. And that the goal of freedom from this crazy disease of obsession is, is the thing that unites us, not whether they can eat a slice of pizza and I can't. And so um, I just keep rooting my support of their growth in the steps and just support them to find their truth because... Their truth can't be mine. They'll never look like mine. And so as long as I'm doing what works for me to be obsession-free and, um, you know, able to be in life, then I encourage that in themselves. So I don't get prickly around somebody else's, you know, food. I, 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 uh, that's been a great gift for me this time around in the nine years is to just go, we all have the dignity of our journey. And when I start thinking I know what you need, then I'm in trouble. Very quickly, I'm one of those people that um, if you've approached me to be your sponsor, it's because, like the program says, um, find someone who has what you like and ask them how they got it. So if you want me to be your sponsor, you've, um, you've asked me to be your sponsor because you want to do the How Food Plan. And I sponsor the way I eat because it's hard for me to um, hear other foods that are not on my food plan. I'm just being honest. Um, what I, where I have grown to be flexible is um, it's with the black and whiteness of it. you know. And, and I love anybody through the disease because I know what it's like. I, I relapsed horribly for 14 years, so that's not the issue. Um, but uh, I'm in a program where we pretty much all do the same thing, um, and that's that's just the program that was brought to me. Frank, I'm also a reader. Um, I sponsor some people who have a much more rigid food plan than I have, and that's fine with me. I don't have any problem with that. And then I sponsor people who are struggling and not able to have any kind of food plan as far as I can see. And um, that's a bigger ego issue for me. So, like, I want to fix them. I want to, you know, tell them how to do it and, you know, make them do it and get, get them abstinent and whatever it is. And I just have to let go of that and, and, and realize that they have their higher power. They have their journey. You know, during those many, many years of, of relapse that I had, I never had a sponsor during that whole time. I'm grateful for the, that these guys are actually having a sponsor, me, and trying to work the program. Um, you know, even though they are struggling a lot. So I just need to um, count that as a blessing for them and, and, uh, and go on. Thank you, panelists. Thank you for the question. Any other questions? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I counter that as being a fear of, you know, 
the question is that during relapse, her life seems to be running more smoothly, just the way Shauna is, and she attributes it to fear. And so she asked Shauna to speak about that. Okay, uh, just to clarify, you, when life is, when you're abstinent and things seem to be going well, then relapse becomes something that. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, things are good. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I, I mean, you know, it really, for me, it just, it just was about understanding that there was a deep place inside of me that still had a lot of self-hate and shame and didn't feel I deserved it. And understanding that has given me more and more strength to go in this 24 hours and to recognize, I I guess, and I'll do this. I'll say, oh, you know, I'm I'm here this weekend. It's a great weekend. I need to be careful this, this coming week. I have to need to just be more mindful of the choices I make and how much I'm just going to jump into life and how gentle I need to be with myself because I've learned from those experiences, you know. Um, I guess knowing helps me. I'm, I'm powerless to change that except uh, recognizing that I don't, you know, maybe for me didn't feel good about myself I could start to work the steps in that area and start to do these things that slowly over time have helped me kind of get to know myself better and sort of have the thought but not have it move into becoming the truth. I have a feeling and then I have a fact. My feeling is I don't deserve it. The fact is, and I reason things out with another human being in the program, and I I get to see the truth. I can't argue with truth, but I can really believe my feeling. And so knowing that these two things can coexist was very important for me in sitting through some of those days where I just wanted to fuck it up. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you. That's all the time we have for sharing. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service this session. If you have enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the OA promise. I put my hand in yours. Oh, okay, shall we go down?